This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Sea Talk Radio Network at SeaTalkRadio.com. Uh, I am your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and to start off the show, I do need to make a slight correction from last week's show, and maybe a little follow-up talk. If you listened to last week's show, you will recall that when I got to the end of it, you know, the last little topic that I, I tackled was uh, was a little um, uh, something that I was, I guess, a bit passionate about. How's that? Uh, where I talked about primitive art and a particular fellow who managed to uh, be a really shitty artist and yet have art critics think it was important and get himself uh, exhibited uh, in galleries or uh, have uh, something put on display in the Smithsonian and end up on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson twice. Now, I was making a mistake that whole time. He's really a fantastic artist. What was I thinking? No, no, no. No, 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 no. He still sucked. Wonderful man. Seemed like he was very friendly, very funny, very kind. A sweet old gentleman uh, uh, with an interesting life and all that. But, uh, you know, sometime in his 50s, he decided to... He to put uh, art on his walls in his house, but he couldn't afford anything, so he he painted them himself, and somebody showed it to an art critic, I'm assuming, and that started the ball rolling. And the next thing you know, he's got a page on Wikipedia. I don't have a page on Wikipedia. I'm not worthy of one. I really haven't really done any. You know, I mean, this thing if it gets listened to by a large enough audience, I suppose, I'll start to make inroads, but I'm not worried about that. It's just, I spent 52 years, or the better part of 52 years, learning how to draw and getting good at it, and then I see somebody who can't do it, and yet they're being celebrated. This just, just, you know. And so I have to say that uh, the mistake I was making was I was mispronouncing his name. I mean, I could at least get his name pronounced correctly. I kept saying John Sewell. It's John Searle. S-E-R-L, Searle. So, my apologies to uh, John, but he's dead, so what does he know? But uh, anyway, I I also meant to mention it, but I don't think I I actually got around to it, but uh, to acknowledge the idea that a little bit of sour grapes, yeah, a little bit, yeah, or maybe more than a little bit, but I, I, there's an envy that I felt felt for that guy and for Grandma Moses and for everybody who can't paint or draw or do art. 
who somehow get celebrated as artists. I just don't get it. Uh, I was talking with a friend about this, and I said, you know, um, and this is something I've mentioned on the show before, and I've had talks with uh, uh, artist friends, my, my wife and uh, my old boss, who's an artist, is an artist, and I've had conversations with them about this. You know, it seems to me, and it's my opinion, I could be wrong, but it seems to me the more abstract the art, the bigger the bullshit story has to be to explain why it is art. And if you can get an art critic to do it, if you can get some guy saying, oh my, you should see this, oh, it's wonderful, if you get that guy, oh man, you got it made. Well, when it comes to abstract art, they're 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 the big guys out there, you know. Everybody knows, like Picasso, for certain. Uh, and the thing about Picasso, if I remember my lessons about him correctly, I mean he he, he went through many different stages of um, art, of styles of art that he he would produce. He went through lots of you know his blue period. You know that's one of the ones that comes to mind. But he would do all kinds of uh, different interpretations of art and he he had the chops though see that's the thing he understood what he was doing he knew what he was doing when he put this stuff together when he started out he could do you know, realistic uh, very representational artwork he was you know he was as good as you know i guess some of the masters you know he was good and he just thought that he, he just, start, I guess, started expanding the idea of what is art, and from what I recall, and boy, I hope I'm correct, he wanted to retrain himself, to forget all that training he'd, he'd gotten and given himself in the years in becoming a great artist. He wanted to forget that and just start over again and have, you know, approach art like a child, maybe, or something like that. And that ain't easy to do. It's not easy to just draw like a child. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you know about uh, some bit of funniness on the internet. All these uh, all these uh, drawings done by children of adults doing adult stuff, but the children are too innocent to understand it, so their drawings are uh, are funny because you know. But the only thing is, of the fifteen or so they showed, I don't know, four or five of them were drawn by adults, not by children. They're trying to make it look like a child draw it, drew it, but the one in particular that I went about, the one with Daddy liking sugar so much he eats it with his nose, that was drawn by somebody who knows how to draw. It was drawn by an adult. It wasn't drawn by a child. It was certainly wasn't drawn by somebody that didn't understand that that was cocaine. And it's really hard to draw like a child once you've learned how to draw. Uh, I learned this back in art school. I was remembering a piece of art that I did uh, in school in the first grade, a drawing that uh, it was a it was a portrait. It might have been a self-portrait or something, or uh, I'm not sure. But um, I was thinking about it while I was in school, in art school. I was thinking back to that drawing. My mom had it, and still uh, I have it now somewhere packed away. But my my mom saved it all those years, and I was I was trying to picture it while I was in school, art school, uh, some, you know, having learned how to draw a bit and was learning how to draw even better. 
uh, and I sat and I sketched it out. And you know, so that's kind of an oval-shaped face, as I recall. And uh, you know, it had the ears in about the right places, and the eyes in about the right places, and a kind of a triangular nose, and a kind of an off-center mouth smile, and a little lump of hair on the top. And uh, I cut, you know, it was black crayon for the outline, and I used orange for the flesh tone. And if I remember getting a little, you know, getting teased about that, and I said, "Well, it's, I was just being practical. I mean, of the collection of crayons I had, I didn't have the racially insensitive color titled flesh crayon. Remember those days? Remember when there were crayons and uh, uh, acrylic paints and maybe even oil paints that they were called flesh? Remember that?" And, and the color of flesh was, well, you know, white people flesh. And that's that soft racism, that, that systemic but soft racism that you might not think about unless you have brown skin. And you say, well, my flesh doesn't look like that. Oh, it took, I think it took until the 80s for Crayola to say, um, you know, we ought to change the... The, the name of that and let's come up and then let's introduce other flesh tone colors into the into the mix and not just that you know which is a good thing but it took a while for somebody to realize uh, this isn't exactly uh, very sensitive you know uh, so anyway I didn't have a flesh color crayon so and I, uh, I just figured pink, or not pink, but orange. I used orange. I figured that was closest to it. Maybe I was predicting who our 45th president would be, or I was predicting the spray-on tan, you know, the orange is the new tan kind of thing. Maybe I was predicting that. But uh, no, no, it was just uh, that was the color I had. It was practical. So when I was in art school and I sat down in my sketchbook and I drew it out and I used colored pencils and I, I, I was drawing it from memory and I tried to make it as childlike as possible I didn't hit upon the idea of draw, drawing it with my left hand I'm right-handed should have drawn it with my left hand that might have made a difference but when I got home and was able to dig around and find the, the drawing I had done I was just I well I looked at it and I said I didn't capture it as a you know as a child's drawing it looked like somebody who knew how to draw somebody knew how to draw drew this tried to make it you know simple and childlike looking but I didn't pull it off so it's like so that's why maybe I should have drawn it with my left hand and I might be well I might be too old now but you know I could probably teach myself how to draw with my left hand, but I've been right-handed all my life. Uh, the the neural pathways in the brain and through the body that uh, work to you know the nerves and all this stuff. That's everything is all kind of trained to work right hand. So when I draw, it works that way. If I was to try and draw something with my left hand, it would be difficult. But I think I could train myself to do to get better at it, and I could probably get better than an average person who can't draw well. I could probably get better at you know their level their best level of drawing uh, by drawing left-handed but it would take a long time because I'm 52 
And you know, when you're a kid, those pathways are easy to make. Your brain's elasticity is even more so back then, and because that's you know that's your prime learning time. So the brain is making all those connections and pathways and setting all that stuff up that you're learning. So it's easier for a, a kid. Well, especially a younger kid to learn a second language or to learn how to play an instrument or to learn how to draw to learn how to do this. it's easier for them because the pathways you know the brain is ready to make them when you get older it's a little tougher it's a little harder to get those you know the brain's still elastic enough that you can retrain it to do stuff that can learn new stuff but it's just not as easy so you know and when I when I exasperatedly said that I should just jam a brush up my butt and, and paint with that I could probably do yeah <laughs> I could probably do a stick figure better better than somebody who maybe can't draw do a stick figure because you know why the ability is not in the hand oh it's kind of partly there because it's been trained the ability is in the brain that's I think Chuck close uh, he's a he's a portrait artist who does these huge canvas portraits giant portraits and somehow he became disabled. And I believe, you know, he still produces these if he's alive. I'm not sure if he's still alive. Boy, you know, I'm just pulling this out of my head right now. Um, he would use his mouth. You know, do he have a brush apparatus thing for his mouth? And he'd use that. And I've heard of other artists that have done that, that were good artists before they lost the ability to use their hands and they'd use their mouth or they trained their left hand or their feet or whatever. And they, they get good. Uh, maybe not as good as they were with the you know the the hand that they used for most of their life, but they get good. And Chuck Close was producing some stuff. I'll uh, I'll try to find some Chuck Close stuff and uh, put it in the show notes. At least the uh, the Wikipedia page, and you can check it out there. Really good stuff. I've, there's uh, there's some I've seen a couple of his pieces, and they're just huge portraits, and they're really really well done photo realistic some of them and and then he did some experimenting on how to put them together so that you know if you're standing up close to it it looks you can see it's kind of a face but then if you get further away it all kind of comes together real nice it's kind of cool he's a really good artist really good somebody that knows how to be a good artist and should be and have art in the uh, Smithsonian and get a chance to be on the Tonight Show twice once at least not some really nice old fella who can't do art. So I, I won't, I'll try not to get upset about that. Um, let's see. I've got a couple minutes here. I want to. It, uh, you know, I'll try to. I try to get some of the heavy stuff out of the way early in the show, so I don't, uh, you, know, you know, end the show on the heavy note kind of thing. Uh, something really stupid happened in Crookston, Minnesota, uh, just recently. And it was one of those things that you, when you first saw the headline on, the, on the, uh, social media, it's that, is this true? And then you start finding out, yes, it is true. And I see it's reported on the local news. Um, there was a young couple, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, that they had determined that they wanted to get famous on, on YouTube. So they would make videos of at least him doing risky things. And uh, she, I think, would videotape him, and he would do these risky things. Uh, but they, I think they might have had other people involved in videotaping or however they worked it out. Well, she tweeted that uh, they were going to do something, uh, make a video that was probably the most dangerous yet. And it was his idea, not hers. And 
what the what, what the stunt was. He was he was going to take a a book, hopefully a nice big thick book, but you know a book, and hold it to his chest, and she was going to stand point blank range and fire a fifty caliber handgun at him through at you know and the and the the book would stop it, the book would stop the bullet. That's what they assumed. Well, it didn't, and he died. And she's been arrested for second-degree manslaughter. And what makes it even sicker is they did this in front of their three-year-old. And she's pregnant. She's got another one on the way. So immediately I started thinking of the Darwin Awards things. You know what the Darwin Awards are. They're, they're, somebody came up with this idea that it's people doing stuff that's just so damn stupid that it ends up either killing them or disabling them or something that, puts, that takes them out of the potential gene pool. And I remember thinking that was kind of a funny, being amused at those things. And some of the some of the stuff that people do is just bizarre. But a couple of people were commenting on it on uh, social media today. A couple of people that I whose opinions I respect, and it got me thinking a little different about that Darwin Awards thing. And it's got me thinking that you know, just like anything else, there's context and nuance. There's uh, you know, these people might be, you know, there might be people that have uh, uh, challenges to, uh, to their intelligence, uh, be, you know, you know, mental illness, uh, defect, uh, you know, they might be mentally challenged, you know, they might, they might have that, or just in a poor situation where they get bad, they weren't educated well, they had bad living conditions, there's all kinds of stuff inside. It just, it seems... To be uh, to take pleasure in the fact that they died eh, seems a little callous. Seems a little, I don't know. Doesn't seem to be very kind. And, and I thought, you know, that, that's true. And when you think about it, I mean, the one of the stories that covered this, one of the the the, the um, should say one of the news outlets that covered this story. Yeah, that's how you say it. Was the BBC, and according to them, they said there were 30 onlook onlookers watching the stunt. Didn't anybody say, "Hey, wait a minute"? The uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press, their website, the article that they put on it, or did on it, didn't mention the onlookers, but did mention that uh, they had done a test run where they shot a bullet into a book and the bullet didn't get all the way through. I, I, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I haven't said their names. I'll link to the, to the article. It's, it's sad. It's not... I don't think it's funny. I think it's just sad. Uh, what I don't think is sad is the fact that I get to take another break. Uh, or my first break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio and the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I'll be back shortly. If this starts... Come on! Start! Hit it! Oh, I hate this one. This thing's gonna work. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. 
<laughs> We're scaring up a good time on your favorite radio station. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that UFO sighting that made the news? What did that latest study about alternative treatments really say? Is this photo making the rounds real or a hoax? Doubtful News is a unique website featuring news about pseudoscience, the paranormal, anomalies, and questionable claims framed with a skeptical view. Come visit doubtfulnews.com every day for news about cryptozoology, conspiracies, shams, scams, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Doubtful News. Critical thinking is essential in assessing today's news. Delphal News helps you decide, can you really believe this stuff? He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Station identification. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com. And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Wanted to do another little follow-up on um, uh, the right-to-carry permit for firearms uh, and how to deal with, uh, if you have a right-to-carry permit and you are carrying a firearm, what do you do if you get pulled over by a cop? How do you handle it? Now, I uh, last week I talked about finding a video, which if you checked out the show notes, you would have found that, uh, where a woman who produces videos that go under the title of Armed and Feminine, uh, she does a video where she works with a, um, uh, a local police officer in, in going over scenarios and how to handle it. And uh, I thought, that's very good. And I wondered if there was such training for uh, people who go who apply for the permit to get uh, 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 a right to carry uh, a firearm with them and I have a friend who did have such a permit uh, he he let it lapse because well, whatever his reasons whatever his reasons were he let it lapse and I was talking to him about it because he knows stuff about firearms and I was getting some information from him and um, uh, he said that he did have or probably had some of his training material left over from the classes he took and he did and uh, he, he let me uh, check it out and I looked through it and it didn't it didn't answer the question that I was looking for but it did kind of point me in the direction of someone to call 
And so I, I did make a couple phone calls. And I got a hold of uh, uh, one uh, place that uh, does the training. And I believe it was probably the same place that did the training for uh, this friend of mine. And I asked him, I said, is it part of the class? Is there any kind of a formal lessons given to dealing with you know, carrying your weapon, you have a permit, but a police officer pulls you over for whatever reason, uh, what do you do? Is there, is there anything like that? And he said, well, the training will uh, tell you what is required by law, uh, which is um, essentially that the, I think Minnesota does not require that you tell the police officer that you're carrying a firearm unless he asks you or she asks you. If you're asked by the police officer, then you then you have to tell them that yes, I do, and I am carrying. Or, yes, I am carrying a weapon. And I do have a permit for it and such. Um, the the person that I was talking to at this uh, gun shop that uh, conducts this training did. I, I asked. Well, I said, is there any kind of you know, is there advice given? Is it uh, is it kind of informal? And he said, essentially, yes. It's kind of up to the instructor what kind of advice they want to give, you know, how far they'll take it. If somebody asks about it, I'm sure they'll, they'll discuss it. But it isn't something that is uh, uh, part of the lessons. You know, the lessons of, you know, they show you how to load the weapon and how to hold it and how to shoot with, you know, shoot with one hand, shoot two hands, you shoot with your less dominant hand, uh, these kinds of things. In fact, my friend told me that essentially... Um, he told me it's, it's like it's like it's like if you have uh, uh, eight hours of classes or seven hours of classes. He says it's a half hour of uh, training on how to use the weapon and six and a half or seven and a half hours of being told don't ever use it. <laughs> you know because you're really opening up uh, a, a Pandora's box for yourself. Uh, I've heard it said elsewhere that uh, and he he confirmed it for me that uh, you shoot somebody, even if you're permitted to carry and you're defending yourself and you're in a situation and you're completely within the, the law of self-defense and shooting that person, whether you kill them or not, uh, you can expect it's going to cost you at least 10 grand because you're going to have, you're going to have legal costs, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to hire an attorney, you're going to have to defend yourself, you're going to get arrested, it's, it's going to go through all that. And, and so he, he was telling me that Essentially, the instructors are saying, you don't want to use it. <laughs> don't use it. You know, do whatever you can to get away from the situation and, without using it. Uh, but if you have to, you have to, but you better expect that this is what's going to be coming. So, so it's up to, to you out there listening to me. Geez, you know, is it worth doing this? Is it worth getting the concealed carry? Well, your situation... Uh, it's going to be different than what you know other people might have, and you might feel that you really do need to carry a firearm for self-defense, for you know, for protection. Uh, maybe you don't, uh, but you were just thinking it'd be nice to have one. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a can of worms that you can open should you actually have to use it. And so I I thought you now maybe I'll contact uh, my local lawmakers and say you know maybe. There should be some, you know, in light of the uh, Philando Castile officer Yanez shooting uh, from last uh, July, uh, maybe there should be a segment of the class that is, here is what you do. And you work with law enforcement to say, what would you like the people to do? 
help us design a series of lessons on doing this. Maybe you just say, hey, that armed and feminine video is right on on target. Let's show that in each class. This is how you do it. And, and kind of maybe it is something that needs to be part of the class, part of the training. Uh, maybe. Okay, what have I got next? Oh, um, another lesson for you guys. Let's see, I'm on my time schedule. Another lesson for you guys on how to sh how to spot a photoshopped image on the uh, on the social media. I spotted this, and it it was so well. You know, I have a <coughs> certain amount of expertise. You know, a little bit of training, and uh, I've worked with Photoshop myself. And you know, it's just I I noticed it immediately. I saw this image, and I went, "Oh, please." That is obviously photoshopped. Can't you tell? Well, I'm sure the average person out there looking at these things would have... It wouldn't jump, be obvious to them. It wouldn't jump at them the way it did at me that this was obviously faked. Okay, what am I talking about? Well, there's an image that's going around the Internet. It's of a young woman holding up a, a white uh, poster board placard sign with a handwritten message on it. And the message is, will trade racists for rapists. And, you know, the will trade is in black, and for is in black, and racists and rapists is in red. And it's obviously done in magic marker. It's, like I said, it's done by hand. And, you know, it's, it's also obvious that this is a Photoshopped image little bit of Google searching and I found what the actual image was and the actual image was um, uh, the sign has uh, the uh, that the gal is holding says will trade uh, racists for refugees now I understand I guess the message that's behind it the idea is that uh, well okay you you, you might want you know you think you're being laudable by saying, "Oh, we we don't like racists. We'll 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 take refugees. We'll give you our racists, and and, and you can send us your refugees." But did you know, you know, some of them are going to be rapists. You know, some and some of them are going to be bad people. Well, yeah, possibly, I guess. You know, this there's yeah, you know, law of averages, I suppose. But on the whole, you know, don't we want to be welcoming? Aren't we a country of immigrants? And in and the thing is that she was holding the sign up. She's Canadian. She was in Canada. I guess Canada isn't uh, as, uh, as 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 enlightened as uh, some of us might think they are, eh? So I understand what's trying to be said there. She's being satirized. She's being that. But the thing is, when you do something like that and it's on the internet. And even if it was put in somebody, somebody put it together, put it in their blog, and explained in their blog that, yeah, I took this image and I changed it to this, and because this is what I think they're really saying, whether they realize it or not, and that might have been what were you know the the origin was all, of it was all about. But the thing is, somebody else can easily pull it off their blog and and crop you know if they put the two images together, the before and after, and just take the after and send that along. And then you get people looking at it saying, "Did she really? She's holding a sign. You know, that's, it, it would seem like that would be your first speed bump. Really, somebody would hold a sign that would have that message on it. Really, and that's that was what my first what uh, was because it's just like, oh, come on. But then of course I've also learned 
and I have advice for you. There was a, for a while there, there were these images of people, sometimes celebrities, sometimes just the regular folks, holding up these, uh, these white sheets of paper with something written on them. You know, saying like, I, whatever, uh, uh, I like dogs. And then they put that on their Facebook page. And then somebody takes the image off and then they, it, it's a white piece of paper. It's the easiest thing to erase out of whatever the, the message that was written on there. It's easy enough to take that off and then put something else on in what looks like a handwritten script. And, you know, I wet the bed instead of I like dogs. You know, that kind of thing goes around. And it, it's, it, don't do that. <laughs> don't put a picture of yourself holding up a piece of paper because anyone just about can you know futz around with that and make it have some other message you put it out there <laughs> you know and if they're good they're like i said there's a like i said last week there's a handful of of photoshop people that are really really good at it and they're really good at hiding the fact that they did something in photoshop but most people that will use some photoshop or a similar program they're not as good at hiding their tracks and that's why, I, partly why, I noticed right away that, there's, that this was a photoshopped image of this gal holding a sign that says, we'll trade racists for rapists. First of all, really? She's going to hold a sign that says that? That can't be right. And then you just look at it for a second. You go, oh, hey, look at that. The word racists and rapists are spelled virtually the same, except for the C and the P. Huh. Gee whiz. <laughs> so what the person did was they took the original photo with refugees there, easily selected that off of a white white background and erased it, just dropped it out of there, and then easily selected and copied the word uh, racists and pasted that into position, and then easily selected the C and erased that out, made an easy copy of the R, and just, you know, dropped that into position, and then erased out the, the tail of the R. So it became a P. And there you go. It says it said racist, and now it says rapist. What they should have done, if they wanted to really make it seem, you know, to fool people, was, you know, you have an R and an S in the refugees word. Why not drop all everything else out of that word, keep the R and the S that are in that one, and then use those for the R and the S, the last S, of of racists use that and then use that r to make the p and 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 then what you could also do is you can select the individual letters and you can distort them a little bit you can change the size a little bit you can change the spacing a little bit so it can fool it'll be even more so that's somebody who knows how to do photoshop better would fool people even a little bit more so that they would think that this this young woman really did write a sign saying that she would prefer to have rapists around than racists, which when it's ridiculous. So you know, don't trust it, <laughs> and just kind of look at it and say, "Yep, that R, the A, the the I, the S, the T, the S are exactly the same in both letters, in both words. They're exactly the same. And boy, that P looks an awful lot like there are, except of course it doesn't have that little tail." It's just it's it's it should be obvious to you, and you got to watch for that stuff. It's part of what we call fake news. Okay, I'm going to let's see. I'm editing on the fly here. That's my time. I'm going to take a break a little early. I'm going to take it early, so you know it's a little early. 
so that I can get everything done in the in the last segment that I want to get done. So uh, you are listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. If I hit the button just right, this next break will play. Okay, let's see if I can do it. Come on. There it goes. I'll be right back. to Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Dr. Dim might even have a guest or two. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. When, oh when, will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. You don't say... What, you think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. This ought to be good. Ha <laughs> I didn't talk over it. Ha <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh, welcome back to Dimland Radio and the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Yes, I do have a pedantic moment. Quite a few of these pedantic moments come from television commercials or radio commercials, but advertising a lot. It, it, it really does because that's, that's the kind of thing that I spot, and uh, I feel uh, it's, it, it's easy enough to get all pedantic on it. There is a commercial on the television for MasterCard uh, MasterPass. 
See, MasterPass is, a, I guess it's a way to quickly make your purchases. You uh, can set up with uh, participating uh, uh, vendors, you know, restaurants, coffee shops. In the ad, they show Dunkin' Donuts, kind of a cross-advertising there. And uh, you can set up your order so that all you got to do is go in and pick it up. You know, use MasterPass and get into credit card debt real fast. So anyway, um, the ad has a, a young, good-looking fellow. He's uh, standing, and I, I presume he's, uh, he's, he's trying to open a, a gate. And behind him are a bunch of very uh, angry-looking kids, uh, looking a little impatient, arms crossed, fur you know, furrowed eyebrows, you know, just you know, looking not happy with this guy. And he's fiddling around with the lock, and in steps Jane Lynch. Now, if you didn't know she was Jane Lynch, you would find out because the 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 young fellow turns to her and says, uh, you know. Uh, she, when she says, you know, wow, it looks like these uh, kids are pretty upset with you. It's not exactly what she says, but he says, well, I had to get my coffee, Jane Lynch. <laughs> I had to get my coffee, Jane Lynch. <laughs> and then she tells him about, you know, hey, you know, you can build that credit card debt real fast using MasterPass, and uh, you know, get your coffee real quick. And uh, you know, so and again, they're they're talking about this. Uh, he suggested, you know, because before she told him about the MasterPass way of doing things, he suggested that uh, maybe he could get up earlier, and she went, oh, please. Now, let me tell you something first, before I get to the pedantic moment. Jane Lynch is one of those actors that just about anything she's in is better because she's in it. Just simply because she's in it. If, 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 it's, a, if it's a terrible movie, but for five minutes Jane Lynch is on screen... Chances are, for those five minutes, it's not a terrible movie. She's just she's one of those people, that uh, one of those actors that just has something about her that's just interesting to watch. She's she can do comedy well. She's a good actor, just you know, straight actor, you know, drama that kind of stuff. And she can do comedy. She's got good chops as far as that goes. She's she's really good. And uh, and so in the in the ad, you know, she's good in the ad and. At the end of the ad, she's, uh, she's you know, well, here's what, it, let's, before I get too jumbled up here. See, the gate the guy's trying to open, he's a lifeguard for a public pool, and the kids want to go swimming. Say, and so, uh, and he was late, and they're waiting for him, and they're upset with him. So, they're, so she's trying to talk him through this idea of using MasterPass and, and that. And now what I'm thinking, now this leads to the pedantic moment, what I'm thinking is, uh, he's here now. Why don't you let him open the gate? Let's have this conversation after you let us in. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking one of the kids would be saying, uh, please, um, you know, do you think we can get in now? You can talk about this, uh, you know, amassing credit card debt plan later. That's, that's, that, that's my moment. That's, you know, it's like, that's, that's what I think when I watch commercials like this. <laughs> Why are you making these kids wait longer? Uh, and then the other thing about the ad, about Jane Lynch, she's got enormously long thumbs. <laughs> just she just does. Because she's because she gets in the pool. She's in the uh, she's on one of those little raft things that you can float on, and uh, and she gives a thumbs up to the uh, to the lifeguard because now he's you know he's building that credit card debt and getting his coffee real fast so he can open the gate. And so she gives him a thumbs up, and I went, wow, she's got a long thumb. Just just that's it.
That's it. Silly, I know. But now you'll notice it when you watch that ad. Okay. Oh, man. You want to talk about being silly. All right. Now, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure you guys know about um, a certain obsession I have with a certain band out of a certain country called uh, England. Yes, it's the Who. And um, the other day, I was... Uh, uh, I was going through a box that I had in storage, a little cardboard box that's been sitting, that's been filled with stuff for the last, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. I uh, it's just just filled with stuff, and it's essentially this box is essentially the the two obsessions of my life box. Uh, one of those obsessions is the Who, so it has uh, it has some posters of the Who, it has. Uh, it has a few books about the Who. Uh, there's, a, there's, I think there's kind of like a, uh, a one of those those, those uh, printed hanky things that you shave that you know like when the Minnesota Twins went to the uh, World Series in '87 and '80 and '91, they had what they called the Homer hanky, and it's just a print on a handkerchief that, that you know people would shake around. Just you know, you know it's like it's kind of Minnesota's answer to the terrible towel that the Pittsburgh Pirates had. Not pirates, uh, Steelers. Um, anyway, so it's one of those. It's just a bunch of that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll get to the other part of what the obsession box holds. In that Who collection, there's a book that I have about the Who that I have I haven't read, and it's actually it's specifically about Keith Moon. He was their maniac drummer, and he was uh, legendary for his partying antics and taking whatever drugs he could take. He'd take them by the handful. Oh, okay. You know, he'd mix and match. Take, you know, uppers, downers, didn't matter. He'd just poof, take a handful, take them. And, okay, this is fun. And he'd wash it all down with brandy or some other, or champagne or some other booze. And I'm telling you, you know, it's a, it's a miracle he lived to be, what the hell was he, 32 when he died in 1978, in September 1978. Um, and the irony of his death was that he overdosed on uh, on a drug that he was taking, a medication he was taking to help him get off of alcohol. He was trying to sober up. He, he was trying to get you know better. Uh, and and yeah, that's yeah. That so he, he overdoses on the drug that's supposed to help him not be. Uh, you know, such an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. Well, I bought this book was published in 1981. I bought it, I don't know, a couple few years after it was it was put out, and I remember re attempting to read it way back then. Uh, I was, uh, but for some reason I set it down, and as I vaguely remember, I thought. There was something I was frustrated with the book about how it was written. There was just something, but I couldn't quite remember what. Now the book was quote unquote written by Dougal Butler. And Dougal Butler was uh, for ten years he was uh, a good friend, close friend, a constant companion, uh, pretty much, and employee of Keith Moon from 1966, 60, 67 to 1977. They were pretty much inseparable, 
and uh, Dougal's job was to, you know, make sure Keith didn't get too messed up, and got to the gigs and had somebody to party with, and just you know, he, and so the book is about it's called Full Moon: The Amazing Rock and Roll Lifestyle or Life of Keith Moon, and it's not meant to be some in-depth you know, dissection of the personality of the man. It's just meant that these are the stories. These are the wild stories that, that Butler could remember. And, you know, he te- he, you know he's, he's quote-unquote, writing them down in, in a book. Well, I say that he didn't, actually, I, he didn't actually write it because there's two other people mentioned in the writing of the book and who the book was by. Uh, they're in smaller type. And what I figure is... Uh, Douglas sat down with these two guys and told them the stories, and the two guys put them into, you know, book form. And and it was published by an actual publishing house that a, that had been around for many years by that point, well respected. Uh, it was called William Morrow and Company, Inc. You know, it was it was a publishing company. I have to assume there was an editor involved in the putting together of this book. And the thing was, okay, I see the book in the box, and I take it out, and I say, ah, oh, and I'm, Hayden's watching me take all this stuff out of there. And I said, huh, look at that. Uh, I, I haven't, you know, I never did finish reading this book. And Hayden says, well, you should. You should, you know, finish reading it. You know, go ahead and, you know, read it. And I said, I think I will. So I sat it aside, and uh, uh, as soon as I finished a book that I was just about to wrap up, which was about the who. <clears throat> I know, I'm obsessed. I picked that book up that evening, the, the Full Moon book, and I sat down, and I put on headphones to listen to music while I was reading. I can do that. Uh, I can. I'm allowed. But, I mean, I'm able to do that. I can read and listen to music. I can't listen to you know, like podcasts with people talking. I can't read or write while doing that, because it's language missing with language. And, uh, I sat down and I read one paragraph. One. One paragraph. The first paragraph. One paragraph. And I remembered why I didn't finish reading it before. There are, you know, there's there's Douglas Butler and there's the other two fellows and an editor, I'm sure an editor, involved in the production of this book. And not one of them thought... This is a, a history of sorts. Sure, it's a loose history, but it's a history. Do you think uh, it would be a good idea to not have everything in present tense? Here's Butler talking about the things that were done however many years ago. 50 years ago now. 40 years ago. He's talking about this stuff, and it's, it's all in present tense. And I'm just, I keep reading, it's like, what? 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 This doesn't make any sense. You know, it's a professionally produced book. I shouldn't be confused and frustrated while reading it. So here's an example. Here's the first paragraph. I'm going to read it to you as it was written. At the time I first meet up with The Who, they are not quite the most famous rock and roll band in the world. 
It is roughly 1966-67, though you will find that exact dates are not this history's greatest strength. This is partly on account of I have a memory like a sieve, and partly on account of being somewhat disorientated by medicines of one sort or another. At a time when I am working as a customs and excise clerk at Heathrow Airport, London, England, this is by no means the most exciting job in the world, and it is especially unappealing to an immaculately suited, short-haired mod, which is what I am at this time. You see what I mean? I mean, what time period is he talking about? Is he saying that he's an immaculately, immaculately suited, short-haired mod working at Heathrow back in 66, 67? Or at the time he wrote the book? Wrote the book. And that middle section about dates not being very specific, exact, that kind of thing, uh, that's an aside. That should be in, a, in parentheses, which it's not. So, being the pedantic sort that I am, I rewrote that paragraph. Now you tell me if this doesn't make more sense. I'm going to drop out the parenthetical part. I'm just going to drop that part out, the part about exact dates and the, and the dis disorientated, which isn't a word, and uh, you know the, by medicines, and he's talking about doing drugs. But I'm going, to, I'm going to drop that part out because that's an aside. That's just a little extra information that, that doesn't really change the gist of the information of the main paragraph. So, all right, so you tell me if this might make a little more sense. At the time I first met up with The Who, they were not quite the most famous rock and roll band in the world. It was roughly 1966-67, a time when I was working as a customs and excise clerk at Heathrow Airport, London, England. This was by no means the most exciting job in the world, and it was especially unappealing to an immaculately suited, short-haired mod, which is what I was at the time. Doesn't that make more sense? Doesn't it? Now, my obsession with The Who is such that I'm determined to read the entire book. So, I've figured out how to do it. I got my red pen. I'm going to make every correction to the verb tense for the book as I read it. I know, I'm weird. Okay, you don't want to know how weird I am? This is how weird I am. The other obsession in that box, which I have to admit that obsession has waned a, a bit in, in the in the intervening years <clears throat> since I've become an adult, but from about the sixth grade on through eh, late high school, I was absolutely obsessed with Farrah Fawcett. She was my girl. She was my first girl. She was my crush. She was the first woman that I, that I felt that I loved. And I had all kinds of posters and stuff hanging up in my room and just, you know, just, just everything. Just, I, you know, it was, yeah. So, <laughs> here's the fun part. So I open up the box, and there's all this Who stuff and all the Farrah stuff. And my son is sitting there. Now, for some reason, he's not bothered by all the Who stuff. But I started going through and taking out poster after poster of Farrah Fawcett. 
and there's magazines. You know, there's one magazine completely dedicated to Farrah Fawcett. I take that out, and there's there's a book, an unauthorized biography of her. I actually had two copies of that book. I take those out. Uh, there was uh, there were three Playboys, uh, two of which later in her life, when she was in her 40s, I think, when she did uh, uh, a photo spread, or in her 50s maybe, uh, for for Playboy nude, but then one from when she was you know, in the height of her fame back when, uh, where she didn't do any nude stuff. Uh, it was ma mainly more of a um, interview article about her, but there were a few pictures over there. So I had that. So I, I don't show those to my son. <laughs> I just can't. Oh, these are some magazines. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had, I had um, two uh, mugs, one tall, one short, and they had uh, pictures of Farrah. <laughs> They were reproductions of her of some of her posters. One, the most famous poster, the red bathing suit one, which I have two of those posters, by the way. And it, it's they're, they're, the the pictures are printed on on paper stock, which are are slid into the uh, into the plastic that makes up the mug. So there's a clear part where you can see through, and you can still drink out of the mug and all that. But oh, I would never do such a thing because you'd have to wash it, and the water would leak into it and ruin the pictures. So they were just you know they're just for display. They're just for his place. So I have two of those. And Hayden is starting to become mortified. <laughs> He's, you've, they've got cu you've got cups? And so, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'm still digging through, and I pull out. It's hard to describe, but it's a little die cut uh, on, on cardboard stock uh, with a printed picture of a full-body uh, image of Farrah Fawcett in, from her Charlie's Angels days, where she's wearing some kind of nice nightgown or some fancy-schmancy outfit. And it's about you know four inches tall, and it's die cut, so it's if you know formed around the shape of her body, and it's set inside a plastic case with a with a clear top, which is die cut to the same shape, you know, so it's formed to that. And it used to have a little loop at the top, and it used to have a little metal chain that you could wear it as a necklace, which I did. <laughs> yes, yes, I was weird. Now I wore it under my shirt. People didn't see it, and I didn't wear it often and for long, but I did wear it. Hayden's <laughs> having a freak out when I'm showing them that and telling them that. And, of course, being a dad, I have to play it up. I have to pull it up. I have to because, you know, I'm supposed to embarrass him a little bit. And, all right, so that's I'm not done. There was one more thing in that box. I reach in and I take it out. It's it's a button, you know, that kind of like a campaign button, you know, that you pin onto your shirt. One of those big round button, and it was a fairly sizable round button, like uh, maybe like four, three and a half inches, four and a half inches diameter, maybe you know, five inches diameter. It's fairly large, and I don't recall what the actual image on the button was. But what I did way back when was I cut out a picture of a of a close up of Ferris face. And I cut it in the circle that would correspond to the size of the button. And I put some Elmer's glue on there. And I carefully adhered her picture to the button. <laughs> and I would wear it. <laughs> it was part of my flair. My Farrah flair. And <laughs> it looks at it. You made a button? And I said, I made two buttons. One of them was in color, but it got damaged, so I threw it away. <laughs> and he's just, he can't believe it. And then later on, Amy comes down. And, oh, oh I forgot about one other thing <laughs> that I had in the box. 
I have a, jigs a jigsaw puzzle of a Pharaoh poster <laughs> in the box. It's missing a piece, uh, as of, if I recall. I should have put it together, <laughs> but I did, because that really would have sent Hayden over the edge. <laughs> You've got a jigsaw puzzle? <laughs> Amy comes down, and at some point Hayden's talking to her about it. He says, he's got... He's got a jigsaw puzzle, and, and there's cups and a button that he made. You know, he's just incredulous. He's embarrassed. He can't believe what a weirdo his father is. <laughs> and Amy, my wonderful, wonderful wife, says, Well, I was, you know, I was obsessed with Duran Duran. I had a bunch of their stuff. <laughs> he just rolled his eyes. Good night. Good night, Frau Blucher. Uh, made it to the end of another episode. Uh, uh, remember to be skeptical and that the extraordinary claims and extraordinary evidence are needed for the claims to be considered to be real or whatever the phrase is. Um, and you've been listening to Dimland Radio and the Z-Talk Radio Network at the ztalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Demfordson. Did I say the ztalkradio.com? Uh, it's late. Uh, happy 4th of July, everybody. We'll see you next week. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by the Yolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks, thanks for, for tuning us in. Bonjour, Monsieur Dim. You are too clever for us naughty people. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? My life, you're clever, Dim. He'd certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going, I'm going to hell. To hell.